I'm going to be reading from Psalms 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It wasn't until yesterday that I just kind of surrendered to the fact that I really felt like I needed to preach Psalm 23 all week. But you know what my hesitation was in preaching Psalm 23? That's so cliche. That's Psalm 23, I mean, come on, you know, that's, that's so cliche. But some things are cliche for a reason. And if you're like me, if everybody else is doing something, I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to do it if everybody else is doing it. And I started thinking about it. Psalm, Psalm 23 is cliche, but it's almost like, you know, Yogi Berra says that restaurant's so busy, nobody goes there anymore. Psalm 23 is so well known, nobody preaches it anymore. It's like assumed that people know it. You only hear it at funerals now. This is not a psalm about death. It's a psalm about life. And so I want to come this morning and reopen Psalm 23, maybe one of the most famous opening lines in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. And the psalm only gets less well-known as you go on. But as you'll see, this psalm comes to a close with the greatest image of what your life is driving towards. Goodness and mercy pursuing us, sitting at the table of the Lord in his house forever and ever. Man, you can't do better than that to start the book of Psalms. So we've been studying Psalms for the last couple of weeks, and we'll be in it for another month or so. And what we're doing in these Psalms is we are developing a spiritual muscle memory. Psalms are different than any other narrative or uh, any kind of prophecy or any kind of epistle because what the Psalms do is they don't so much encounter us and impact us with statements like Paul. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That statement has power when you believe it and you trust in it. That's not how the Psalms deliver the impact spiritually. What the Psalms do is they give you an image, or they give you a process, or they give you a pattern. They give you a movement for your heart and for your soul. And so we learn in the Psalms not just the statement, nothing can separate us. What we learn in the Psalms is, when I feel separated from God, what should I do? Or when I need to be comforted, when I'm in my lowest moment, what is the groove that my heart can follow that will lead to my heavenly Father? And so this psalm opens up with this statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. And the point of this psalm is to say, everybody's got a shepherd, who's yours? Who's your shepherd? Everybody, whether you know it or not, has a shepherd. And David's saying, you know who my shepherd is? The Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the provider. He's my shepherd. And if you know Christ, he is your shepherd. And if you don't, chances are you're your own shepherd. Which, in the metaphor that David's working here, is not good. Because this is not a flattering picture for us, right? So, the Lord is my shepherd means we're what? 
sheep. Right? And you hear people talk about, I am the good shepherd, that means we're sheep, in the most denigrating way. I mean, it's implicit, but it's like, you know what sheep are? Dumb, defenseless, dependent. And you guys are all sheep. That's how most of these sermons go. So you guys are sheep and need a shepherd. But what David is not saying is, you guys are sheep. David is saying, I am in desperate need of a good shepherd. I am in desperate need because I am so dependent on my heavenly father. I am so dependent on my savior. My condition spiritually is like that of a sheep. And if it weren't for my good shepherd, I would be utterly lost. And so what David declares for us is, I know who my shepherd is. I'm following him. He's providing for me. Do you know who your shepherd is? Do you know his voice? Do you know where he leads? Do you know what he's done in our flock? Who is your shepherd? And secondly, what is it like to follow him? What is it like to follow Jesus as your shepherd? And I want to spend most of our time in this psalm talking about the picture that David paints of what it's like to be in the flock of the good shepherd. What is it like to be shepherded by God himself? What's it like to be shepherded by Christ? You know, David answers this question in the opening line. The fundamental reality of being shepherded by God is that you have everything that you need. The fundamental premise of this whole shepherding metaphor is the shepherd will take care of his sheep. The reality of following Christ is we have been given everything we need for the goal that he has for us. So a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a camp, and I got there, and they said, oh, there's, there's this house that the speaker can stay in. It's the old groundkeeper's house. I said, sweet, that's awesome, great little accommodations. So I get in there, and I'm kind of running late. I've got to speak that night. I've been out in the campground and everything. I decide to take a shower, and I realize immediately post-shower that this house really is the old groundkeeper's house. No towels, no paper towels, no toilet paper, no nothing. Now, they did have drapes in there, which I decided against. But I took a very wet trip to Dollar General, because this is out in northeast Oklahoma. I took a very wet trip to Dollar General and got everything that I needed for the week. Because this house and my goal were very different. This, the goal of this house was to sit empty for what seemed like quite a while. And my goal was to be equipped to speak and to live there for several days. And so what it needed was provision. And your life is not built in with provision. If you've ever tried to follow Jesus for five minutes, you realize you don't have the things you need to follow him. In and of yourself, if you want to be frustrated, try to follow God and do what he says with your own provision. What David says is what you realize when Jesus shepherds you is he begins to provide everything you need for God's goals in your life. And the thing about God's goals for your life is it's not a destination, now the destination of heaven, but in your life right now is not so much a destination as it is a transformation. You are going to become a certain kind of person if Jesus shepherds you. Okay, so to see this in this psalm, you have to know a little bit about the way that shepherds and sheep worked in the ancient world. And when you think about sheep, when I think about sheep, which I typically don't think about sheep, I think of a cattle drive, because that's just what you think of around here. You take them and you move them to somewhere else, and along the way you give them what they need. That is not how they shepherded sheep in the ancient world. The sheep would sleep in the same place every night. They would have a sheep pen, and this is what really makes sense in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the door 
of the sheep. What would happen is you'd have a common pen, and all the sheep would be in there from the surrounding areas, and the shepherds many times would sleep across the entrance of the pen. So that if you came to get the sheep, you have to go through the shepherd. And so, you know, Jesus says, I am the door for the sheep. And anybody who comes up over the fence doesn't care about the sheep. Only the shepherd who lays down his life every night for the sheep cares about the sheep. So what would happen is the, sh- the shepherd would come in the morning and he would call out to his sheep and they would know his voice and they would come and the shepherd would take them to a place that he had prepared that he had planned in advance to give them what they need for that day, and then they would come back to the pen that night. So the goal for a good shepherd is not just to find a great destination and take all the sheep and make sure they make it there. The goal for a good shepherd is to transform the sheep into what they are supposed to be by planning out their route and provision every day. Now the Bible is so clear about this point in our lives. Over and over again, we get an echo of this first verse of Psalm 23, I shall not want, I will not be in need of anything. In Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. Psalm 34, 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear the Lord have no lack Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The way I love it said best is in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul breaks out into this praise at the beginning of his letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, don't let the predestination language spook you here. This just means God thought about this before he did it, okay? He's put some time and effort into this. And what he's doing is he has laid out a regimen so that his sheep will become exactly what they need to be. God has blessed us with everything we need for his purposes. So the implicit point there is, if you don't feel like you have what you need, the first thing you need to decide is, are my goals and God's goals the same, or are they different? Because the promise is not, you will have everything you could ever want. The promise is, you have everything you need for God to do what he wants to do in your life. The way this psalm goes on is to describe what it's like to be shepherded by God, to be shepherded by Christ, to be transformed into what God wants us to be. And I didn't notice until this week a really interesting contrast in this psalm. See, the way that psalms often work is they have parallel thoughts. So you'll have something and then you'll either come up and amplify it with a second line or you'll contradict it and you'll see that in the middle there's a full spectrum of experience. And that's what this psalm is doing. If you look at the contrast in this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, let me describe two scenarios you might find yourself in. That's what Dave is doing. You might find yourself lying down in green pastures and, and you might be led to the town of Stillwater. And you might have your soul restored. (laughs) I think that's just in the original Hebrew. (laughs) He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That might be where you find yourself. But in contrast, you might find yourself walking through the valley of the shadow 
of death. And in that place, you will learn not to fear evil because God will be with you. Think about this contrast. What it means to be shepherded is not aim for the green pastures. It's the shepherd knows that every sheep needs green pastures and the valley of the shadow of death. This is part of the regular experience of Christians. So sometimes we come to this psalm and we're like, he leaves me beside green pastures and still waters, and every now and then you might find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. Get past there as fast as you can. It's no, the shepherd some days takes his sheep to the valley of the shadow of death because there's things that you need there that you'll never get anywhere else. So the contrast between these two places is important for our life. The second contrast is between the rod and the staff, which we'll come back to in a minute. The third contrast is between God preparing a table, a place of abundance, and a place where we can stay, and the journey to his house forever. Places of stability, places of provision, and places of movement. You know what I think David's doing here? He's describing the whole Christian life being shepherded by God and showing that actually everything God does along the way in your path, whether it's in our eyes good or bad, in his eyes is necessary and essential and developing and honing and transforming for our lives. So in the first contrast, we're familiar with the green pastures. We typically think like the fields of Scotland or something, like you know, waist-high alfalfa, and the sheep are just going hog-wild out there and eating their hearts out. And then you think about it for a moment, you're like, Israel is in the desert. Okay, David is writing oftentimes from the desert. There are no alfalfa fields in Israel. Okay, So when he says, he leads me to green pastures and lays me beside still waters, what does he mean? If you've ever been to the Holy Lands, there's this really strange phenomenon that happens where they graze sheep, which is usually in the desert. They usually graze their sheep out in the desert. And it's just the level one desert, because Israel has three levels of desert. The level one desert for us is like a bad desert. For them, it's like you can graze forever. And what they do is they put their sheep up on a hill, and they fan them out like this, and they walk along these paths so that they're eating at a pace that's healthy for the sheep. So what they do on a hillside is you'll see these lines on the hills, and you ask somebody, what are those? They say, those are paths for the sheep. Those are the paths that they walk in, they take a bite, they keep walking, they take a bite, and the the green stuff grows in a little run like this. And the great thing is if you graze your sheep there, you know they're all going to stay together, they're all going to stay in place, and they're not going to eat more or less than what's good for them. And if you read this psalm and you know that, he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me along the straight paths for his namesake. Again, what God has done in this part of this psalm is take a metaphor that David was so intimately comfortable with, grazing his sheep, providing for his sheep. And what David says is, God will take you. He'll put you on a path and one step at a time. You can't feed a sheep in two hours. You have to feed them over the course of a day. One step at a time, he will make sure that you have everything you need. Now, the part that we're probably less comfortable with is the valley of the shadow of death. And this phrase in in the Hebrew is kind of a weird phrase. It really means like the gates of death or the most deathiest place of death is really kind of a literal 
It's, it's like an adjective and a noun that both mean like really bad death. So he says, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or even if you come right up to the gates of death, that's part of God's provision for you. Because what do you learn in the valley of the shadow of death? Well, you learn two things. I will fear no evil, and I will know that he is with me. I'll know that he is with me. There's things that God wants to teach you in your suffering and in the gate, right up at the gates of death, even our own death, that we can't learn anywhere else. I came across a headline I've shared with some of you before in 2016 in The Guardian. And the headline said this, Stacy Irvine, 17, collapses after only eating chicken nuggets since age two. This was a serious medical emergency. This girl, Stacy Irvine, had only eaten chicken nuggets with every now and then a siding of french fries and potato chips for 15 years. <laughs> and she collapses and goes to the hospital, and what they find out is if you only eat chicken nuggets for 15 years, it begins to physiologically change the way that you process food. Your whole mouth all the way down into your digestive system changes. What they found out was not only was she anemic, that's kind of a no-brainer. I'm not a medical doctor, but I could have told you that. She has no vitamins and minerals stored up in her body, duh. And her mouth on her tongue, the blood vessels had gotten so swollen that it had squeezed out her taste buds to where she actually couldn't taste anything but chicken nuggets. So she really wasn't lying when she said, I don't like anything but chicken nuggets. It was the only thing she could taste. The salt and the flavor, that was all her palate could handle. So what did the doctors do? They began to expand her diet. Because if she only did that for the rest of her life, she would be an incomplete, unhealthy human being headed for death immediately. And first they did it through IVs. And slowly but surely over time, her body started to change back. She started to get more hydrated. She started to get the minerals that her body needed. And all of a sudden, she developed a palate for food again. And after a couple of years of this process, she was starting to eat things like vegetables and fruit and even desserts that she didn't like when she was on the chicken nugget diet. And one of the things in the article that they talk about is the psychological battle for her was as hard as the physical battle because she was accustomed, she had believed the lie that only what she was currently eating would satisfy. Only what she was currently taking in would give her the nutrients she needed. And you know what God's plan for us often is to introduce us back into what we need to be healthy human beings which would be the full spectrum of life here. Have you ever thought about the fact that God could have just teleported you up to heaven like Elijah with a flaming chariot the moment you became a Christian? Wouldn't that be nice? You just trust in Christ, and then all of a sudden he's like, all right, got it, you're done, come on up here. That would be wonderful. But that's not the way God does things because God's goal for you isn't just to get you to heaven, it's to make you a certain kind of person so that you will enjoy heaven when you get there. You'll become the kind of person who has the fruit of the Spirit in abundance in your life. And sometimes it takes some things added to the soil, like going before the gates of death, to realize love and peace and patience and trusting God are the only way to be transformed. You know, Paul had this same experience in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that we had an experience that was so terrible that we despaired of life itself. 
it was like we had had a death sentence put on us. And when you just step back for a moment and think about this and think about the kind of person Paul was, this isn't just like, you know, he had a bad couple of days. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, stoned and left for dead, riots surrounding him. He was imprisoned. He was left in the middle of the ocean. And when he got off, he reached into a fire and got bit by a snake. I mean, his life was terrible. And here he says, and then something really bad happened. (laughs) We thought we had received a death sentence. And he said, do you remember what he says after this? That was to teach us to trust in the God who raises the dead. Sometimes it's impossible to trust in the God who raises the dead until you go up to the gates of death, until you walk through something that feels like there's no way God could have something for me in the middle of this. But what David shows us is the green pastures teach us to love God and follow him, and the valley of the shadow of death teaches us not to fear evil. What is the power of evil? What is the power of sin? Death, the grave, where Jesus says, don't fear the people that can only hurt the body. Fear the people that after the body dies can throw your soul into hell. And if you trust in Christ, that's no longer a reality for you. Death has been defanged. How did Jesus conquer death? By dying. So we go all the way up to the gates of death, and sometimes we will die before we see God answer all of his promises in our life, and we won't stay dead. We will wake up and realize God has been true to his word. And some of us will learn that by coming right close to it. Some of us will learn that by walking through a season that feels like death all around. Some of us will walk through that with somebody who does die, and we hope and we trust and we rejoice that they are now with God, and we are right behind. But the valley of the shadow of death teaches us Evil has been defeated, and God is with us. The sheep never go anywhere without the shepherd. The shepherd goes through the valley of the shadow of death as well. Think about Jesus' life. Jesus has these disciples, and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for my sheep. And that's to show you that whatever dark valley you go through, Jesus has been there. He's suffered, he's been tempted. He's been rejected. He's been despised. He's been cheated. He's been lied about. He's been put to death in open shame so that you know his footprints are in the valley that you're currently in, and he's there with you. Now, after this metaphor, we get the rod and the staff. And many of you guys probably know this. The rod and the staff are two different tools that a shepherd would have had. The rod is like a small billy club. And a lot of times, they would put rocks and things in here because the rod is an offensive weapon. It is to keep away predators. It is to defeat lions. You know, David says he had defeated bears and lions before Goliath, so he wasn't even scared of Goliath. Well, a shepherd was often protecting the sheep from outside predators. But the staff is a defensive tool. It's the one that has the crook on it. And so you could move a sheep, you could pull them out, you can actually take them and herd them with this. And so what the shepherd is doing is this same contrast with green pastures and the valley of death. They are protecting us from evil and keeping us on the path with this contrast. Now I want to spend a few moments here at the end of this psalm. The metaphor of the opening part is that of a shepherd taking his sheep out every day, providing for them. But then the metaphor changes in verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness 
and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What God does to provide for his sheep is he picks the most conspicuous moments and sets up a little banqueting table. Right? Have you ever gone through a circumstance where you don't know how and you're not even sure why, but you just feel God's presence and his provision and the strength of the people around you when all the alarm bells should be going off? And in fact, this is one of the worst seasons of your life, but with God, it's one of the most growth-filled and loving, and he's holding you up in ways that you couldn't do on your own. That's this. Even in the midst of my enemies, even with wolves all around, the shepherd gets down and begins to feed the sheep. See, what happens in our lives is we follow a shepherd who never lets us lack for his promises. And that means if we go through a great time, if we go through a tough time, or if he has to step in and say, here's your banqueting table. Don't, don't worry about the enemies around. I'll handle them. Don't worry about the things that you think you're missing out on by following Christ. I'll handle that. Don't worry about the fact that you don't know where we're going. Just sit and eat. And in the last line, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I think that there's an allusion here to a common belief in this area at the time. If you were worshiping Baal or El or one of the surrounding gods, these gods often had these consorts, and they would come in two pairs, and they, they were basically like revenge and judgment. And if you did something bad to these other gods, these two consorts would chase you down until you paid the price. But the picture that our God gives is if you are his sheep, it's not judgment and revenge coming after you. It's goodness and mercy, pursuing you all the days of your life. Because see, our shepherd is the kind who leaves the 99 to go get the one. Our shepherd is the one who doesn't send his sheep off to make his own escape. He's the one who lays his life down for his sheep. One of the things I love about the end of this psalm is that it gives us a picture of what our life will be like when we are shepherded to the final place with God, a banquet. You know, the final picture of the Bible is a feast, a feast in the presence of our enemies no more because God has made everything right. He's wiped away every tear. He has a river flowing with life, and he has a banquet with a spot set for you. And what we see in this psalm is God's provision is the only thing that will preserve us until we get there. And this morning, we're celebrating communion, and the communion tie-in with this psalm is so powerful. Because what communion is is not just a ritual that shows uh, you know, that we care about a tiny little piece of bread and a little cup as some mystical symbol. What it shows is, I know who my shepherd is, and I know that he provides. See, this meal is just a foretaste of the meal that we will share. In fact, it's just a little sustenance along the way to say our shepherd knows how to provide for us for where we're going. You know, Jesus says, fear not, in Luke 12, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, I know exactly where you're going. Fear not, little flock, I will provide for you. Fear not, little flock, I know that you're not going anywhere except to my banqueting table. So the body, which is broken for us, is like the green pasture. Jesus, we are said we are his body. We make up, we fill all that is all in Colossians and Ephesians 1. 
And the body which is broken for you is something you eat. Jesus says, if you don't eat of me, you cannot live. But if you eat what I give you, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. And so this bread that we take reminds us that our sustenance is Christ. But the cup is different. The cup is like the valley of the shadow of death in that it costs something. In fact, it costs an infinite amount to bring you back to God. And when we take the cup, we realize even in the valley of the shadow of death, our Savior has been there. That's what it costs. We can be with him forever. So even if that gives a little bit of a new perspective this morning, it's the same theme over and over again. We take communion to remind ourselves who our shepherd is and how he's providing. So as I pray and, and the band comes back up to lead us this morning, the way we do communion here is we'll take the covers off of these and you'll stand up, come forward, and take the communion elements and go back to your seat. This just reminds us that we actually participate in what God is doing. He is serving us at a banqueting table and he says, come. Remember the last line of the Bible? Come. Come to the waters. Anybody who's thirsty, come. Anybody who's hungry, come and eat without price. And so we say, we'll come. And you'll take those and go back to your seats, and then in a minute after we worship, I'll come up and we'll take these together and we'll celebrate the death of Christ and we'll proclaim it until he comes again. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are our shepherd, that you are a, a good, providing shepherd. Father, I pray specifically that you would remind us this morning that we do feel like we're in need. Father, it's hard for us sometimes to take these promises that David says, I will not want. You say you will not withhold anything from us. And it seems like there are some things that we need. So, Father, help us to see your hand in our lives. Help us by your spirit to realign our hearts to know what it is that we really need. Help us to see that you're not just a God that helps us to skimp by. You're a God of so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Father, fill our hearts this morning with grace, with goodness and loving kindness that follows us throughout our lives. Lord, as we leave from here, would goodness and kindness follow us out this morning and pursue us until we arrive safely at the table forever.